Hey, everybody, this is Joe McCall and Alex Youngblood with the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. So glad you're here. Again, for another great episode, we have a rock star that we're going to be interviewing today um, who's just killing it. And uh, he's actually doing the, the whole remote property flipping thing, which really got my interest when I heard about what he's doing. And uh, he's living in Panama, flipping deals in California like a crazy wild man. But um, So I'm excited about that. But first, Alex, how you doing? I'm doing great, Joe. How about yourself? Really good. I just got back from the DOT or the DMV office, depending on ah, what part Satan's of the country. Armpit. I tell you what, man. I <clears throat> Don't get me started on the inefficiencies of government. I'll tell you, I'm excited, Joe, because I just... Uh, got this deal, um, uh, or we closed on it, so it's done. Um, oh, good. Yep, money should be in the bank today with the wire, so that's good. And then the deal that I had the home inspection nightmare on, and I walked in, and the ceiling was on the floor. We're good to go on that, so now it's just a matter of closing at the end of the month. So each each um, one of those deals uh, will probably be worth about thirty each. So sixty for this month isn't too bad. And I, and oh. I have an offer on another one, another one about to hit the market, so good things coming down the pike for sure. Good for you. I just did this week two wholesale lease option flips totaling about, let's see, twelve, eleven dollars or $12,000, and um, that's kind of cool, especially when I'm not doing really any of the work. That's even better. Um, yeah, yeah. I've, I just I had a great um, – I did a little webinar last night with uh, with a friend and uh, just talked about all the systems. And um, it, after going through all that stuff, it just kind of blew me away. Like, wow, <clears throat> it's amazing what we can do with the Internet these days and how we can outsource pretty much everything in our business. Um, but anyway, listen, guys, we have a Real Estate Investing Mastery special for you guys, and it is our Fast Cash Survival Kit. It's a free course on how to wholesale real estate how to flip lease options, how to do traditional wholesaling, how we hire and train virtual assistants to do our work for us, and how we do all of our marketing. Um, it's a pretty cool resource. Alex and I put a lot of time and energy in it, and uh, we feel it's pretty good. I mean, I don't know of anything better out there that's that's free. Do you, Alex? Nope. And if you don't like it, we'll give you your money back. Right. Yep, that's our <laughs> motto. If you don't like it, we'll give you your money back. But anyway, uh, enough chit-chat. Go to, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com. Um, leave us a review on iTunes. We really appreciate the reviews. Um, maybe I forgot to look to see if we have any new ones. Um, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be looking later on. Uh, I really want to get right into our, uh, our interview with our guests because I was late for our scheduled interview uh, because of the issues I had at the DOT office. But um, So I apologize, Justin, for being uh, late and I, I appreciate you being gracious enough to to join us how are you sir i am fantastic thank you for asking great you are in panama is that right the country not the city in florida you are correct yes okay yes. that's right we um we kind of uh, connected and ta started talking to each other um became friends i guess a week a couple weeks ago and uh, we were – I was talking about how I went to Prague and uh, flipped a couple deals while I was in the Czech Republic for a couple months. And, and you said, oh, yeah, I'm in Panama. I'm doing the same thing. <laughs> and uh, I think that is so 
so incredibly awesome. But um, before we go into kind of why you're in Panama and what you're doing there, I'd like to just ask you questions about um, what what are you doing? Um, I'm sorry. Let me rewind again. What were you doing before um, you were in in real estate? What was your kind of like uh, pre real estate days like? I did. Uh, I got out of college uh, in the mid '90s, and then uh, I was in the telecom industry, and that was like one of the hottest industries uh, in the U.S. in the late '90s. And um, I I was doing the whole IPO startup thing. Was going from one company to another. I was jumping jobs every. 12 to 18 months, uh, not because it was a job jumper, but I was getting calls by recruiters. Anyway, in 2001, yeah. I was 29 years old, and I had a sales job. I was uh, selling optical networking equipment to companies like uh, uh, Verizon and Comcast. And then when 9-11 hit, uh, which hit pretty close to home because I lived a mile and a half from the Pentagon at the time. I was living in Washington, D.C., um, all of my the stock market tanked, as we all remember, and then um, all my prospects, which were the smaller little cable companies and phone companies, all started going bankrupt or getting gobbled up. And uh, I'll never forget it. It was exactly one week before Thanksgiving in 2001, and I'd just been to a meeting up in New Jersey with my sales manager at a Verizon facility. And we were talking about buying some of our equipment. And we drove to the train station in Newark, New Jersey, and I was supposed to have a meeting at Comcast the next day in Philly. And my manager, I got out of the car, and my manager said, uh, we've made some changes. And I'm like, oh, what's that? And she said, uh, we don't need your services anymore. I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, you've been laid off. And I said, you don't need me to go to Philadelphia tomorrow? She goes, you can get on the train, go right past Philly, and keep going back to D.C. and go home. <laughs> and, uh, well, what year was this? This Justin? was in 2001, so this was like three months after 9-11. And um, so I got on the train. I'll never forget it. I called at the time. She was my girlfriend. Today she's my wife. And I said, you'll never guess what I got. She says, you got the Verizon account. I said, no. She goes, well, what would you get? And I said, I got laid off. <laughs> Wow. And uh, I came home, and um, it was great. It was a week before Thanksgiving. They didn't even give us severance through Christmas. I think they gave me like severance until like the 10th of December or something like that. And um, it did some soul searching. I actually went and, um, again, at the time she was my girlfriend. She's like, "What would you be doing if you weren't dating me right now?" And I said, "Honestly, I'd be uh, probably traveling somewhere, <laughs> traveling somewhere in Asia." And she was had a really killer lobbyist job. And she said, "Well, then let's go." And she quit her job, and we backpacked around Southeast Asia for four months. And uh, good for you. And when we got back, I I'm like, oh, I'm going to get back into telecom. And I was applying for all these positions. And uh, with the downturn that they had in telecom at the time, um, I was competing for jobs against guys who had 10, 15, 20 years more experience than me. I'm like, this is ridiculous. And a buddy of mine said, oh, my, my, uh, my brother owns his own mortgage company. Like it's not like owning your own company. He's like, but it's as close as you're going to get for the situation you're in now. And so I started doing uh, mortgages in our tri-state area there in Maryland, D.C., and Virginia. And uh, my advice from the guy who owned the company was he's like, you should pick a niche um, of where you can sort of break in and, and start doing some stuff. And um, hmm. he had suggested to me, he said at the time, he said, why don't you look into doing um, uh, subprime stuff? This is in 2002, so subprime was pretty cutting edge then. 
And uh, I started uh, doing some direct mail stuff to uh, people who were um, in pre-foreclosure. But I wasn't trying to buy their house. I was trying to do um, refis because back then, as long as they went through their three-day right of rescission before the auction date, you could f- nobody cared as long as they were uh, under 65% LTV, you could refi them. So I started doing that, and then I um, that led me into the world of understanding how the foreclosure process worked, and that led me uh, led me into researching it more online, and that led me into the world of creative real estate investing and pre foreclosures. Um, wow. And so I started, uh, like most people, going. I remember to boot that. Camps and I remember you were um, remember did what? a lot of pre foreclosures. You did like um, you had a website or something, right? You had like a, a, a website where you were uh, doing I pre-foreclosure leads. I still own Save Me From free... Foreclosure. Then it was like freeforeclosureleads.com yeah, or something? Save Me From Foreclosure.com, which I still own. And so that was sort of when I shifted out of being mortgage broker into sort of like all-in-one solution. And our pitch was, you know, we'll li- my wife became a realtor. Like we can list it for you. We'll buy it from you. We can refinance you. And so I still have that website today. It still does really well for us. But um, so my first six months in real estate were probably a lot like a lot of people's, which is I uh, I went to I bought a lot of courses, I went to a lot of RIA meetings, and I went to a lot of boot camps, and I never did a deal. And uh, I woke up. Oh, one we day. never did that. You didn't? No, like, no, I always took action. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Seminar sort of training. One day I woke up, and, yeah, and I said. Maybe if I actually get the phone to ring, maybe I might actually do a deal. And I remember I, I'm like, instead of buying this course, I'm going to go out and spend 300 bucks on Bandit Signs. And I would drive down the I-95 corridor with my uh, um, with my wife, and um, we would go around hanging hanging Bandit Signs. And I absolutely hated it. But you guys will never guess what happened from one of my Bandit Signs. It worked. You got a call. I got a phone call. You got it a deal. It was from a woman. I'll never forget her name. Her name was Regina Robinson, and she said, my husband's wages are being garnished by the IRS. We can't afford to pay our house, and uh, we want to sell it and get some money. And uh, I bought it, and I flipped it, and I made $27,000, and the rest, as they say, is history. Now, you did a rehab, or you did a wholesale? I wholesaled it. Wow. 27 on a wholesale. That's not bad. Not bad at all. Not for your first deal? No. Well, good. What year was that? That was in 2003. Okay. So then what did you do from there? Uh, So then I started – I dove full in. I took a bunch of that money and I reinvested it and I started becoming a direct mail maniac and I was doing direct mail to the pre-foreclosures – so I lived in uh, – so we had uh, D.C. and then I had about four or five counties in Virginia that I was working and I had two count, either two or three counties in Maryland that we worked. And I was just a direct mail uh, machine. Hey, Justin, were you it. ever in my market? Were you in the Hampton Road, Virginia Beach area, Richmond? No, all, all my Virginia stuff was northern Virginia. So like Arlington County, Fairfax. That um, stuff was real expensive up there and still is. It, it was very expensive, yeah. So we were doing fewer deals than the, like all these people. I hear that they were doing, you know, oh, we're, I'm doing, you know, 
four, five, six deals a month. That that was not our case. We were doing we I think our when I lived in that DC metro area, the best the best year we ever had was we did fifteen deals. But of those fifteen in that one year, three of them were six figure deals. Six figure net. Wow. So oh, wow. fewer deals, but way bigger uh, way bigger back end payments which is sort of the same experience that I'm having now in Southern California. Well, it's not sort of. It is the same thing in Southern California now. Are you, were you doing short sales or were you just wholesaling them before they got to that point? Uh, you know what we were doing? We were doing a lot of subject to stuff. We were doing no short sales because I'll never forget back then in D.C. It was such a hot market. We were doing all um, subject to's or we were using private money and we were um, taking them down and doing rehabs. Short sales didn't work because by the time you got the packet in and they came out to do the BPO, the thing had gone up in value another 10 or 20 grand from where it was. <laughs> so like all this stuff about short sales that I heard in 2003, 2004, 2005, it didn't work in Washington, D.C. because our market was just going bananas. So wow. we were buying and we were holding. We were doing these rehabs and we were, we were like, oh, yeah, our ARV is going to be 220. And by the time the rehab got done, the ARV was like up to 240. It was just – it was crazy. So we were making extra money on that. So it was a good time to be in doing uh, rehabs and stuff. So you were buying them as um, um, subject to – so you're taking over the existing mortgages. So one of our favorite strategies was we'd go into the homeowner and we'd say, okay – what are you behind? And you know, they'd say like, "Oh, we owe ten grand or whatever." And I'd say, "Well, what do you what What do you need to uh, to get? You know, to move yourself?" This guy's like, "Gosh, if I could get three grand or five grand to move or whatever, that'd be great." And so we would um, uh, we would send it. We'd have him sign the deed over to us. We'd wire in the reinstatement amount, and we'd send him his money, and we'd take uh, take the property over subject to. So we'd get in for like fifteen grand. And uh, and then do the rehab and then sell it. Okay. So, nice. So that nice. was a strategy that we were using then. All right. So then, what uh, what was your journey after that? How'd you get to California? Or am I skipping a step there? Yeah, you're skipping a step. So in 2005, I was doing the Save Me From Foreclosure dot com thing, which was like our main branding. It's how we got all our leads, direct mail, and from the internet, from that, and bandit signs. And uh, uh, knew that we wanted to leave D.C. We just didn't really like it. We'd been thinking about leaving for a few years now and so said to myself, you know what? If I, if I can do this in D.C. and make it work, I can make it work anywhere. And uh, I grew up in Vancouver, Canada, and I moved back there with my wife. And we started a family. We had two kids. And when we were living there, we were investing across the border in Washington State uh, in, wow. in the northernmost counties there. We lived in Vancouver for four years. And then we sold our house, and we moved to San Diego. Um, and so I had to restart in a whole nother market um, in San Diego. And uh, in San Diego, I developed a relationship with a gentleman down there um, who's my business partner today in San Diego. And uh, we do – when we started out there – uh, he was he was sort of doing his own thing and I was sort of doing my own thing, but he was a licensed realtor and we did we worked on a couple of deals uh, together and we did a couple of um, we did a couple of wholesale uh, flips on short sales that we we wholesaled these things for like a thirty five thousand dollar profit 
And uh, he came back to me and said, you know, you really should consider going back into the rehab game. And I, and I hadn't really, I didn't really enjoy it, but he was actually really good at it. And he used to work for Bosa, the big development companies. Like all, I, he goes, you do all of, he goes, you just let me do the rehab stuff, and uh, and I can do the real estate stuff and list it, and uh, and you do everything else. And um, you know, since then, it's been a uh, it's been a match made in heaven. It's perfect because we have really complementary uh, skill sets. And so now in San Diego. We're doing all uh, buy, fix, and flip. Okay. ARV out there, you would say? Uh, I mean, we've got one in escrow that's going to close in two weeks. That uh, we had targeted the ARV of three seventy. We accepted three sixty five. The one that we just sold uh, closed on two weeks ago. That was a two hundred and seventy thousand dollar purchase price. The one before that, that was about a month ago, was like two fifty. So wow. anywhere San Diego's not the that Arves, crazy. Yeah, well, this is out in the burbs too. Don't forget, this is like um, uh, Escondido, California, which is a good twenty five thirty miles outside, or um, another place called National City. Um, so it really just depends like out in the, uh, but you know, we did actually just buy a house in San Diego from a wholesaler, uh, for $98,000 and the ARV on it should be about 190. How are you finding most of your deals, Justin? Uh, it's a very good question right now. We, so we have done, uh, limited direct mail this year, but it's something that we're re-ramping back up. Some of the old campaigns that we were doing uh, that I had done in the past that have been successful just didn't work in Southern California. So most of our deals come from a combination of the internet and my website properties, um, stuff that we find on the MLS, and stuff that wholesalers bring to us. And it's probably split. It's probably about 20% online, 40% wholesalers, 40%. Ah, it's probably more like 30% wholesalers and 50% MLS. Okay. Um, I want to kind of rewind a little bit to direct mail because you've been using direct mail for a long time. What have you found works for direct mail? What are some of the keys to your success with that? The biggest thing for me that I found with direct mail was a couple different things is um, I found that um, – First off, and I, I and I can say this because I've been in D.C. when I was hot market. I was in a tiny little area of the Pacific uh, Northwest when it was sort of like a flat market, and then San Diego when it was a down market. Is that every single market and every type of person that you're going to go after is always going to be different? So, in other words, Alex, you're in Virginia Beach, and you might go gangbusters with uh, um, I don't know uh, uh, free and clear absentee owners, and I'm going to be an awesome direct mail campaign in, in your part of the world and that might be a total uh, – it could be a total skunk in Washington, D.C. Um, or absentee owners might be awesome, Joe, in, in St. Louis, Missouri, but up in the northwest corner of Washington, that could be a total skunk. And it's different every every time I found – Isn't so that crazy What I though? encourage people to do is don't be afraid. It is weird and, and it's funny like I dabbled in the Phoenix people market. Are did people are people. It is, but like I dabbled in the Phoenix market, and we did, uh, and even in San Diego, we did a, um, we did an absentee owner uh, 
piece and it bombed. And when I say it bombed, it bombed not just because it wasn't like we weren't buying the houses. We weren't even getting the calls. Wow. Wow. We weren't even That's getting the calls. That's hard to say. Like, I mean, what like in the limited world would cause something and, uh, like I just that? Didn't because... get it. So... Sorry, Justin. We're, we're having a little internet connection issues here. Alex was asking. Um, Alex was asking. Well, why would that even matter? Because people are people. I mean, there shouldn't be a change in their motivations for the reasons why they want to sell from city to city. You know, it's the same thing. When I was in Washington D.C., I lived in Arlington, Virginia, and I did one deal in Arlington County. And if I could have done all of my deals in Arlington County, I would have. It just didn't work there. It's the same thing when I went back to live in Vancouver and I was investing across. I said it's just so fun. Do you guys know a guy by the name of Dan Duran? Oh yeah, he used to be the marketing with, man, uh, Richard Root. Okay, Dan the marketing Dan Duran the marketing Duran. man. Exactly. Yes. So it's so funny. I'll never forget this. I was on my drive from Washington D.C. to Vancouver. And I was looking at rolling out some of his campaigns, and uh, he said, where are you going to do this? And I said, in Vancouver, Canada. He goes, creative real estate investing doesn't work there. I said, don't be so ridiculous. He goes, okay. He goes, go ahead. And uh, I spent twenty grand on marketing, and I did one deal, and the deal that I did, I think I lost 1200 bucks on it. So wow. it was a very expensive lesson to learn, and I don't – well, I mean Canadians are very different from Americans, but I also think the pockets of the U.S., there are very, very different things, and what's going to work in, you know, in Newport News or what might work in, uh, you know, in St. Louis isn't going to work in Southern California, and vice versa. So, I always tell people you got to understand your market and learn your market. And there are certain principles that work, but in some places it's like shooting fish in a barrel, and in others it's uh, fewer and far between. What would you say is the main thing then that would distinguish what works and doesn't work? Like what would be the key indicating factors and I mean what were you well what were you finding said okay I did this it bombed but I switched to this and this worked. What were some examples there? Uh let's let me give you a specific. Um, let me think of a good one here. Um I would say that for us in Southern California, specifically, it was going out to the suburbs and not staying in the core city for me was one that was pretty much particular that were it was the same in Southern California as well as in washington d c in other words, the neighborhoods where I would want to live and the areas where that were convenient for me to drive to and go look at properties. Campaigns all yep. bombed. When I went out into the burbs, and when I say out into the burbs, I'm talking about going like a good 25, 30 miles out of like the core of the city in both of those areas, places where I would never want to live, places where it was a pain in the butt to drive to, places where you had an appointment and it was during rush hour, you're going to get destroyed in traffic. But just realizing, suck it up and go out there because it was more blue collar, less expensive, campaigns would tend to work a lot better. Now, I would think that would be true in any market, but um, I, I think this is fascinating because I've never heard anybody talk about this before. Um, you know, We're always taught just send out marketing to absentee owners or homeowners with equity, um, 
but I, you know, you're absolutely right. You're just going to have to test it and see what what works. But why do you think Dan Duran knew that Vancouver, for example, was not going to be open to creative real estate? What what was it that clued him to that? Oh, he'd had students who had been up to Canada before, and it's very true. I, I give you a generalism between Americans and Canadians. Americans will trade uh, equity for peace of mind. In other words, they'll say, just give me the money. Sure, I don't care. Whereas Canadians will not be okay with, you're going to make $30,000 off of this? No way. I'm digging in my heels. I'm not selling to you. I'll hold out. Wow. Sweeping generalization, but that's what I found. It's interesting. So um, direct mail works. So if you you know if you find you're you're targeting a new market, yeah, um, and what you send doesn't work, which used to work in another market for you, what do you what do you suggest changing first? The list, the um, the demographic, like where you're sending it to. What do you? What are some of the things that you tweak to find to find out what does work? Well, one of the, one of the first things that I'll do is look and say, well, you know, where am I sending? So the the where is one of the biggest. So what areas? What zip codes? Uh, what counties? If I'm like in like a tri-state area like DC, and I'll reevaluate that and take a look at that. Then if I've still got a skunker, then I'll look at, okay, what list am I mailing to and is it doing well for me and are there a lot of other people saturating the same list? Um, yeah. As you guys know, you know, absentee, everybody loves like one of the hottest – well, I shouldn't say one of the hottest. One of the most popular ones right now everybody wants to do – and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong – is they want to do – um, out-of-state absentee owners, and then they'll either take a subset of that and say uh, bid on title 10 years or longer, assuming they have a ton of equity, or they'll do uh, leverage it or, or get even more granular and go free and clear. I'm, I'm and, sure that um, gets bombarded. <laughs> bombard, I mean in San Diego. I mean, So I, I've mailed that list in San Diego uh, and also in Phoenix, and we've actually had like people – mail us back our postcards saying you do realize I get five of these a week don't you not interested take wow. me off your list that might be an indicator right there <laughs> yeah and so yeah when you get those back because you got to think everybody there's you know is sending for the most part the same lists so you know you can I'm also a big believer in that it's a numbers game and, and you can keep plugging away but at a certain point too there's an ROI right like if I if in, in San Diego our average profit per deal is uh, 46 grand so if I can burn through if I got to burn through 5 grand in mail to make that 46 that's fine but when you're getting going or just getting started obviously that's a that's a tough pill to swallow Whereas in you know in other places you can get by doing five hundred, eight hundred, thousand bucks on direct mail and get your first deal. Do you? Right that's there. one of the things. Yeah, it is a numbers game for sure. Do you find that? Um, oh, I forgot what I was going to ask, but let me ask you another question. Then, oh yeah, I remember. What What are some good response rates for your mail? When do you know you're getting good results, or average results, or not good results, Justin? Uh, gosh, I mean, for us, a home run, like we're jumping up and down is two to 3%. Uh, 
and um, and that's just based on my past experience. I don't do I, you know what? I'll be honest with you guys. I've never done the yellow letter campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only reason why I've never done it is that what I've heard from people is that you'll get a smoke and response rate, but it'll be from a ton of the majority of your people will be unmotivated. And I'm more like of a uh, I'm more of a lazy person. <laughs> I also do. And no wonder Alex likes postcards <laughs> as well. <laughs> so I don't want to have to talk to that many people to find out that they're not motivated. So yeah, uh, yeah so two or three percent were jumping up and down. Average would be a half a percent. And then a skunker would be, you know, less than two tenths of a percent. And we've had skunkers before. Wow. I've had skunkers Is recently that- within the last 12 months, as a matter of fact. San Diego is very competitive right now. Um, do you find – I've heard that, um, you know, that just the competition, it's a seller's market right now. The competition for homes is really, really high. The supply is low. How do you make yourself stand out in such a in a market? You know, this is the same for Phoenix and Vegas, yeah, parts of Florida. How do you make yourself stand out and above the crowd and find these deals? Yeah, great. When a hundred other people are, uh, we do a lot of networking. And our biggest thing to every that when we talk, so we get a lot of deals off the MLS. Uh, um, we network with a lot of wholesalers, and our biggest thing is that ask around town, and when people say we're going to close, we close. There's nobody that you can talk to in San Diego County that if you say, "Hey, what's up with Justin Lee and Jail Investing?" They will, you know, everybody will either say, "I don't know the guy," or he'll close on it. And that's the biggest thing is that you, you've got to sort of get that. Uh, you know that reputation. So now, when we get agents who are sick and tired of trying to deal with you know all these people who say, "Oh yeah, I'm going to pay cash for your house," and all they're trying to do it was wholesale it. And not that there's anything wrong with that. You know, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. But if you want to separate yourself from the crowd, you've got to be able to show a propensity to close. So we'll do things like, for example, there is a uh, REO agent contacted us. And said, hey, I've got one, two, three Main Street. It's going to come on next week. Be ready. And so we've already been out there with our contractor. We know exactly how much it's going to cost us. Now, don't forget, this is all part of the work that we're doing, the time that we're investing with no guaranteed outcome. And so when we write our offer, we'll write our offer, and it'll be we'll close in, uh, we'll close in 10 days, and we'll waive the inspection. So we're doing a lot of that with REOs. And that tends to and that and writing big EMD checks tends to catch a lot of people's attention in in a super competitive market. Right. You know, um, I hate to say it, but one of the reasons why Homevestors does so well is because they have the reputation already. People see them as a big company that they are going to close when they say they're going to close. I would guess. Yeah, it's but, interesting uh, you say that, Joe, because I've uh, Homevestors. They don't really have a presence, or at least not to my knowledge, in San Diego County. They never had a presence in uh, the northern part of Washington State. And uh, I mean, I guess they had a small presence inside the D.C. area, but not that it was noticeable or they're dominant or anything like that. Okay. Yeah, they're they're pretty big here in um, the Midwest. Yeah. Well, it's a franchise, right? So every 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 yeah. market's going to be different based on who's running the 
the franchise. Yeah. Well, I mean, the consumer sees their billboards everywhere, and they know those billboards are expensive. And they think, yeah, I mean, if these guys say they're going to close, they're going to close. And um, that's important you, you give that. Uh, what kind of direct mail? You talked about postcards, Justin. Just real quick, I mean, what, what do you use the uh, glossy photo postcards or ugly yellow postcards? What do you do? Cheap, ugly, yellow, nasty, flimsy. Although, you know what? I'm starting a new direct mail campaign, guys, and actually it's um, – I haven't – actually, the test mailer, I've been beating on the direct mail guy. The test, the test piece was supposed to arrive, and it still hasn't arrived to my partner. So we did a short sale, and we bought it in uh, either December or January. Can't forget. I, I forget when we closed. It was either right before or right after Christmas, and it was a Chase loan. And Chase gave the uh, homeowner twenty grand back at closing. And so our latest campaign, as I bought the domain, uh, cashbackfromchase.com. You guys can check really? that out. And we've got a whole direct mail campaign where we're just mailing homeowners who have Chase loans who are in default. And and and, uh, and uh, it's a three step thing, and we're using a uh, uh, step one is a uh, as a as a. Uh, you know, like the see-through envelope check, okay, and it's got yeah. the check amount written out to the person, so it looks like a check. And then they open it up, it says, "You can get a check like this just from Chase." And then when you flip over, it shows uh, it's got a testimonial and a copy of the HUD with the line item to the seller of the same wow. of the same property, saying, "Hey, this comes from Chase, not us." Just a little bit of blurb. Here's why they would rather give you twenty grand than foreclose on you, but you've got to work with somebody who knows how to get this back from them. And then, uh, and then there's a postcard, and then they're followed up with the third step in that mailer is a long, uh, twelve-page letter that I've written out that goes into all sorts of detail about it. So, if I could get the darn test piece to show up, which was supposed to be there like on Tuesday, um, that thing is ready to go uh, out the door, and we've got the list. Um, the cool thing about working with my business partner is he actually gets free. Li- he was an uh, agent at Century Twenty One, and I'll actually pay for his lists. Because they want him to pay his, for marketing. Wow. Yeah. So uh, so our only cost is the postage. Amazing. So that's the so latest then, one that we've got in the hopper right now that we're super pumped to try in San Diego. Because I've got an agreement with him too where even if uh, like we'll take it down, he'll get the listing. If my If our offer gets rejected and we can't do it, we'll still split his commission. So it's fine because all the houses that we're mailing to are, you know, listings from two fifty up to half, you know, seven eight hundred grand. Wow. So um, you could even could you have you thought about including the same kind of message on a postcard, an ugly postcard? Yeah. So that we do have that. So step one is the see through is the see through check. Step two is a postcard, a big jumbo postcard, and then step three is the is the long sales letter. Nice. Yeah, so it's a three-step now, have, campaign. Have you ever used personalized URLs on your postcards? We're using, to we're using pearls on these ones, so it'll be the first time ever. So I will uh, wow. I will definitely get it back on the line, and I'll report back to you guys the results of this thing. Because I think my gut tells me it's either going to be a home run or a bomb. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. <laughs> I've uh, I've talked to guys who used – for those of you who don't know, personalized URLs is when you get a, something in the mail that says go to – um, save me from foreclosure.com slash John dot Jackson. Okay. Yeah. So it puts your name in the URL itself. 
Um, but I've talked to you guys, direct marketers, who use pearls for all their different campaigns and swear by them and say they would never do anything different ever again. Um, just because the response it it uh, is very is higher and um, no one else is doing it. Yeah, and the cool thing is is that I give my web guy actually the list of um, that we're going to mail to, and he uploads it to our server. And so not only does does it is it uh, cashbackfromchase.com forward slash Jane Smith, but he knows the city, and so it says, "Hey Jane Smith, do you have a Chase loan? There's tons of other homeowners just like you, in." Encinitas, California, who were stuck with a chase loan, blah, blah, blah. So it even drops in their, wow. their, their city and state and stuff like that. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see how it, uh, how it goes. So your, your direct mail, though, has a phone number and a website for them to call. has a right? phone number and a website, yeah. Um, you might consider this. We had an interview with Kathy Kennebrook um, a few episodes ago, and she's out of Florida. She does a ton of direct mail. And she was telling us what works well for her is to have you know those you've seen letters that have the forms on the bottom of the letter where you can with fill in the blanks your name address phone yeah. number why are you selling and stuff like that and she swears by that I don't remember the exact numbers on a letter she gets yeah on a letter and the so people she said are she handwriting in the thing yeah and here's what she does she tells them you can either uh, mail this back fill this out and mail it back to me. Or fax it to me, or email it to me, and she gives them the fax, email, and address. Um, or go to this website, or call this twenty-four hour recorded message, or call my office. Or I think did I say website? I don't even know. So she gives them like five, six different ways to contact her back. And do you know what the biggest percentage of her responses are on her direct mail? It's the. Oh, it looks like I lost you guys. Oh, we'll pause this here. Hey, Alex. You there, Joe? Yeah, Justin. Okay, yeah, I, I'm I just here. I just got there. kicked out and pushed back on. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. Um, so you said, well, I was talking about – Yeah, you yeah, said, I, do let, you know what her biggest response is? I, well, the way that you phrase it like that, I'm going to say it's something goofy like everybody faxed the stuff back. <laughs> yeah, her biggest response came from um, either people filling it out and mailing it back to her yeah. or faxing it to her or emailing her – the answers to their questions. And the smallest percentage were the ones that actually called or went to her website. I was shocked by that. And she said, well, one reason is she's targeting in Florida. There's a lot of senior citizens there. And she thinks, you know, because she's targeting the elderly crowd, um, you know, they don't want to call and talk to somebody. They, they want they, – they would rather just send something in. Yeah. And uh, But it's worth testing. I don't know. I've, I've still not tested it yet. I've I've been talking about it for a long time. I need to. Um, I just thought that was fascinating. Well, and again, that's what I was going back to saying earlier about you got to know your market, right? What might be working for her in Florida could be a complete yeah. bomb for other people and, and vice versa. So, Yeah, you're right. Um, I wanted to ask you about your internet marketing. You you talked about that a little bit. Um, you're doing some internet marketing. What, what kind of marketing are you doing online to find sellers, and how targeted is it? What am I doing online to find sellers? Um, I'm doing well. I, sh- I was going to say I'm doing. I was doing some uh, a lot of Google local, but that's all converted over to Google Places. And in the uh, yeah, in the sense of being completely honest, I haven't updated any of that stuff, and I need to. 
Um, you know, my SaveMeFromForeclosure.com is such an aged domain that that generates leads for me, multiple leads every single day. Now, those are spread out throughout. Even the- in it, spread out throughout the U.S. Spread out throughout the U.S. Yeah. And so uh, that's all. That's sort of a whole other business in of itself um, that I do lead generation for on that. Um, and then I've got a bunch of local domains, uh, you know, like Help Stop Foreclosure San Diego, Stop Foreclosure Fast San Diego. There are different sites, different blogs. You know what's working for the best for me right now, though, on uh, on the internet is. Um, for me, cultivating buyer leads is actually going on the best. I own the domain San Diego Cash Deals.com, and I think I've, in my life, there's like five blog posts and like four or five different videos. And I get buyers every single, I shouldn't say every single day, but I get a handful of buyers a week going to that site and opting in and getting on my buyers list. Cash buyers or retail buyers? These are Cash buyers. Okay, good. Excellent. Now, the only problem with that is I'm not wholesaling anything in San Diego because like we talked about earlier, it's such a competitive market that we have to – We the only time we would ever wholesale a deal is if we are literally tapped out on um, our private money and yeah. just didn't have the c- capacity to close. But um, you know that uh, that hasn't been the case, which I guess is sort of a good problem slash bad problem to have. Um, but, uh, yeah, we've been keeping everything and rehabbing everything that we get and squeezing every last penny out of each deal. I've been pretty much doing that, that same thing. What, what would you say is your, um, average wholesale fee that a wholesaler will get? Um, how, how much room are you seeing in deals for wholesalers right now? In San Diego? Yeah. Yeah. I would, I mean, for us, if we have to, I, I, I wouldn't. I would say I can't even tell you the last time I paid a four-figure wholesale deal. So everything is ten grand or above, um, and mm. we don't even really blink. We don't even really blink at that. So okay, uh, well, that's pretty good. Yeah, I mean the last two that we wholesaled, and we we haven't wholesaled a deal for two years, but the last two we did were thirty-five and thirty-eight grand wholesale wholesale deals. Wow. So what are you clearing on your rehabs? I mean, see, this is something that I go back and forth with. I, I say, okay, yeah, I could try to squeeze a deal as much as I can. Granted, it'll be two, three months down the road before I get, you know, my check. But if you can, if you can sell it and make twenty to thirty right now on the wholesale, I mean, your rehab fee is going to be obviously a lot bigger if there's that much room in it. But um, you know, that's like the balance. It's like, okay, do you take this money now or do you go for the bigger the bigger spread on it? What What's your take on that? Uh, we have been literally – because I've got a partner, so I, we chop everything in half. We have been, um, we have been taking uh, and doing them all on, uh, on rehab. Although what we have toyed with with the idea late and, – and another reason why is we're buying a lot of REOs and stuff. There's been short sales, so there's been like deed restrictions and stuff like that. So it just it, – it doesn't really matter to us. We've got awesome terms on our private money. Our private money right now – check this out, guys. We're paying uh, 12% interest only, no points. No fees and no payments due. All payments wrapped into the back of the loan. Exactly what I do. Well, my, so, well, that's the private money I use right there. Yeah, and so it's pretty. It's a pretty good. Nice. It's a good setup that way. 
Um, we've talked about doing what we what they call uh, prehabbing. So going in and taking it down and just cleaning it out and then putting it on the MLS and letting all the other maniacs overbid for it. But we haven't really done uh, we haven't done that yet. That's not to say that we wouldn't consider it. But no, we're just uh, we're, we're taking them all down and um, fixing them all up, and we're doing it all ourselves. Because even if it means, and I know, I under, obviously, I understand the time value of money, but it's not like there's, it's not like we can say, let's just flip this one because another one will come by tomorrow. That's not the case with how tight it is right now in Southern California. So if you flip one today, you might be sitting around for three, four, five weeks before you pick up the next one. Well, you got to think there's got to be lists out there that are hard to get, you know, lists of certain sellers that are hard to get. Maybe it's probates, maybe it's evictions or divorces. Um, have you thought about that at all? What are the lists that um, you could get that very, very few people would know how to get? Do you know the one that I've been beating my head down trying to get and I just can't get it is the eviction list. And we have tried, what? tried, and gone round in circles and um, people are just telling us that that is not publicly made or we need to know the specific like, case number or eviction number and then we can get that information. So that's the one that I'd really like to know, uh, the eviction oh. list. We've dabbled um, in the probate thing. Um, honestly, we were just sort of lazy with going down and getting the uh, getting the names again. So yeah, uh, and and being consistent um, on that. So you know, I I I don't know. It's a great question. If if, if it's not like, and I, I don't want people to think like, oh, I'm holding out some big super secret here. Um, it's not. But my big new hot list is honestly is going to be people who have a Chase mortgage. That's my big new hot one. How about a list of vacant uh, landlords of that own vacant property? You know, it's so Do funny. You know how to find the- we don't really have vacant property in Southern California. Well, you sure you do. You got lots of it. They're all on Craigslist. Anybody who's advertising a house on Craigslist for rent has an empty house. Well, I mean, not 100%, but most of them do, right? Right. Now, yeah, the rental market is white hot. But what if there was a way you could target through text, calling, telemarketing, emails, whatever, target people who have their houses advertised for rent in Craigslist or in the newspaper, and just have somebody call those ads every day and ask them if they have any interest in selling their house? Yeah, I like that. I mean, that's definitely good. The, the only problem is, and I remember this. Um, you know, it's it's funny. You guys know Peter Conti, don't you? Oh yeah. I uh, I actually uh, had a webinar with him about three or four months ago, and I said to him during the interaction, I'm like, you probably don't know this, but your book was the first. His lease option book was like the first creative real estate <laughs> investing book that I ever bought. Like back in the day when I used to just sit around and read books and not do anything. Yeah, um, but it was like I'm the first at his book, book that, right now. Are, are, yeah, it's great. He had a couple of them that, um, specifically on lease options, and I remember that was one of his things. So he'd say, "Take out your newspaper classifieds, let it age yeah. for a month, and then call them back a month later." And I haven't done that in uh, in ages. Well, here's the top secret, super duper tip. Everybody, plug your ears. Don't listen. And I and this is something I've tried once. 
And uh, I don't know why I stopped doing it. But I set up a um, – I had my VAs go through all of the houses that were under I, – I set – normally when I'm looking for – on Craigslist for properties, I'm looking for houses that have high rents because I want – you know, I get more assignment fee when I'm flipping a lease option on a more expensive house, right? But I had her now set a maximum rent. And before I was looking for three-plus bedrooms. Now I have her – at the time, I was having her look for – I was removing the three-bedroom limit. And uh, I was looking for homes just under um, eight or $900 a month instead of over $1,000 a month. And um, we would harvest all of these phone numbers. I know some people are going to hate me for saying this. But we would harvest all those phone numbers and all those emails and send text messages and voice blasts and um, – and now I would probably have a VA just cold call and, and use something like slide dial, which takes your phone call, takes them right to their voicemail. And then just ask them, hey, I'm an investor and I'm looking to buy more properties. I saw your house on Craigslist and I was wondering if it was if you had any interest in selling it. If you are interested, call me, leaving a phone number. So it's very personal. It looks like it's coming from you, but you can have a VA send all of that for you. And I, I did that. I contacted about... At the time, I contacted about 75 to 100 ads in Craigslist. Well, were you doing them fresh in Craigslist? So like the, yeah, they'd post on f- Thursday and you'd call on Friday type of thing? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had three people call me back from that campaign and express some interest. I didn't get a deal out of it, um, and I just got busy and I stopped doing it. But um, I don't know, something that I've been wanting to try – some more myself there was a guy um i think it was jp moses he interviewed somebody had him no it was you alex you interviewed somebody on your blog and he was talking about i think it was you alex he was talking about how he finds his deals and he just drives around town looking for um uh for rent signs in house in yards he finds oh yeah that was uh, uh, that was darren dickey darren dickey Okay, and he also talked about in that video how he just sometimes goes through the newspaper or Craigslist and just calls people up and asks them that question. And uh, that was one of his favorite sources for leads because you uh, didn't have much money to spend in marketing. We, Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, we, uh, we need to interview him on here. I haven't talked to Darren in a little bit. He's a good guy. But um, I don't know. That was – Something I was thinking about, and I, I need to start I'll, testing I'll that I'll tell myself. you, you know, since we're talking about super sly, tricky ways to, uh, you know, build different lists, um, <clears throat> here's a slow but sure method to building a vacant house list. You basically uh, go to a free and clear list, so you're going for a higher uh, equity properties, and you're going to look, and, and, and obviously this doesn't work with absentee necessarily, but uh, you send out a free and clear mailer to a whole subdivision or you know a zip code if you want to go that big with it. And the, the post office is going to mail you every one back that says vacant on it. And boom, there you go. You'll have a vacant house list without even having to leave your chair. Interesting. Um, you could also um, – have you ever done post-it notes, Alex or Justin? Were you back in a neighborhood? I have done post-it notes. I t- an interesting story about post-it notes there was a uh so when i was doing when i was living in vancouver in northern washington state comcast actually had 
uh, independent contractors who would go out and knock door to door on people's doors uh, to yeah. get to sign up for cable or internet or the whole bit, right? And so uh, I met a guy who was doing this. He actually replied to an ad off of mine that I was looking for sort of like a protege type thing. Anyway, long story short, I had him and his whole team each had post-it notes, and they I each gave them a unique toll-free number, and uh, they were going out and putting on post-it notes anytime the person wasn't at the door, and they knocked on them and they left them. You know, one thing you could do, and this reminded me, Alex, of what you were just saying. Um, you could have somebody um, put post-it notes, just blanket a neighborhood with post-it notes, and Roop uh, has a famous one that he that's he, the one uh, that we use. Yeah, yeah. I've done it before, and it was really good. I got great results from it. Um, but you could put post-it notes, blanket the neighborhood with post-it notes, and then drive around the neighborhood a few days later and look for all of the – any doors that still have the post-it note on it, and you probably got a vacant house right there. Just a little idea. Maybe do it a week later, you know. Um, but it, the other thing I was thinking about, and um, this is not something I've done, but I've, I've heard of investors doing it. Hey, Justin, Alex. I'm back. back. Wow. Um, did you hear me talk about the driving around town looking for um, – driving around looking to see if the Post-it notes were Did you there? hear my comment that I think my way is lazier? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just wait for the right, post so we, office to bring them back to your house. Oh, yeah, yeah. I heard that part. Okay, I missed that, but <laughs> – um, we, we just lost audio and now we're back. I was saying that you could drive around looking to see which doors still have the post post-it notes on there. And Alex said, that's the lazy way to do that. But, um, cause his idea is probably better. Usually is right. But, um, the other idea I had, and you got, are you guys still there? Yep. Okay, I'm here. Good, good. The other idea I had was, um, especially in California, Justin, I could see this possibly working well for you is, um, pretty much you can wholesale anything. The, the demand for housing is so high right now. You could pretty much wholesale anything that's close to current market value. If you can just get it under contract to subject to or lease option and wholesale that contract to an owner-occupant, okay, um, because the demand's so so high. I mean, I, I even heard this on NPR recently, um, and they were complaining that us angry, I mean, uh, us us mean investors were – um, we're making it difficult for retail buyers to buy houses because such a huge percentage of all of the homes that are being sold are being bought by investors right now and being bought by investors with cash who um, don't have 30-day contingencies for financing and who can close quickly and take these properties as is. So investors are getting all the good deals. And then NPR was running the story of, of an interviewing people in California and they were complaining how unfair it was but um, but anyway, I was thinking there is a huge demand for people looking for homes. And uh, what if you sent direct mail to people who bought houses within the last three years with FHA financing? Uh, maybe somebody who bought a home with FHA financing between the years of uh, two and three years ago. Because a lot of those people, you know, you look at the average time somebody stays in a house is – you know, it's crazy. I don't know what it is, two years, something like that. Um, and you could send them postcards saying, hey, if you have any interest in selling your house, we'll buy it. 
doesn't matter if it has any equity or not because a lot of these guys, because they put so little down and, 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 and generally house prices over the last two to three years, I'm going to guess, have, have been pretty stable, maybe gone up a little bit. So they don't even have much equity. Um, they don't have any equity to pay a realtor's commission. That may be a deal you could tie up on a subject to or a lease option contract and wholesale it for a quick I, ten grand to an owner occupant. Yeah, I tell you what, Joe, I, I like that strategy, and I think that maybe once the next big wave of opportunity that's going to come around in the next two to three years is going to be subject to because, like you said, you're going to have all these people who bought on FHA with no money down but got smoking interest rates. Yeah, there's going to be a nice opportunity there for sure. They need to move. And they don't want to be a landlord, you know. They don't want to rent their house out. Um, interesting stuff. Cool. Um, I want to talk, Justin, before we go here about Panama. I mean, what on earth are you doing there? You've been there for three, four months now. I've been here for I've been here for exactly two months, and okay. tomorrow I'm going to, and our we own a villa here, and it was pre-rented before we booked this trip. For two weeks, so tomorrow I'm getting on an airplane and I'm going to uh, Colombia, the country, not the district, um, for yeah. two weeks, uh, and then I'll be back in Panama for uh, a month, and then back to Vancouver um, in time for my daughter to start kindergarten. Wow, good for you! And you have wife and two kids with you. Wife and two kids are with me. Yep. And uh, you are flipping deals. You're still running your business from Panama. Running my business from Panama, yep. Oh, that's interesting. I've never heard of anybody doing that before. (laughs) Just kidding. So, I mean, uh, talk quickly about how does that work? I mean, what what can you do from Panama with your deals you're doing in San Diego? Uh, Well, like I said, I've got a partner in San Diego and he manages all the rehab and does all that stuff. So for me really it's just signing contracts, raising private money, uh analyzing deals from a pure numbers perspective obviously not from like a walk in the house and look at it. He does that end of it. Um yeah. and then just making sure that everything gets closed uh on time and still doing a lot of networking over the phone and and uh keep my eyes open for deals and doing a bunch of different stuff. So um it's been fine. We've only had one small snafu of not being in the U.S. Um, that was like a three-day, four-day hiccup on a deal. Um, but uh, apart from that, everything's been smooth sailing. Yeah, you had an interesting situation where you had to get something notarized, right? Yeah, that was my and, snafu. Um, so we had to get a document notarized, and we uh, and I found this out the hard way. The uh, lawyer's title won't accept anything other than a U.S. notary or somebody from the consulate. So like. So we reviewed all this in advance, and my escrow officer said, let's use Tycor. Tycor said as long as they're a member of the Hague, they can, u- they can do this. And um, so we had a deal, got the documents notarized, FedExed them back, um, which, by the way, I'm on like a tiny little island here in Panama. And so the fact that the FedEx oh, – yeah. I'm not in Panama City. And so it takes three days for the package to get just to Panama City, and then it can get to the well, U.S. You- the next day. They don't allow cars on your island. You have to get a water taxi to go anywhere, right? There are no cars on my island. It's golf carts or foot. So, um, what well, cost down? So there. I have to take a water taxi over to the main, the the next island, and then they it still takes them three days to get to Panama City. So anyway, 
They said as long as they're a member of the Hague, which Pan- Hague Convention, which Panama is, it should be fine if you get this special notary called an apostille. My Spanish is terrible, but I went and I said, you know, there's a little notary in town. I said apostille. They nodded. So I sent it in. Um, title gets it, and, and so they get it, and uh, they reject it, and they say this is no good. And it's so funny, like you talk to these escrow officers in, uh, you know, and, and title reps back in the U.S., and they're like, well, just pop down to, uh, you know, the embassy. You know, I'm, I'm trying to explain to them, like, you know, that's telling like somebody in, you know, Iowa, just pop down to the Panamanian embassy in D.C. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's not that easy, and um, uh, they uh, then so they they said, well this isn't going to close. And I said, well, why not? And they're going to go, it's going to get rejected. I said, by who? And she said, by the county recorder. And I said, how do you know? And she goes, I just know. And I said, well, why don't we let them make that decision rather than you? Um, I don't see why Tycor wanted to play God with the file when it wasn't in their position. Anyway, they sent it down and sure enough, the file got pulled and rejected. And fortunately, I was going to Jamaica for a wedding and happened to be going through Panama City and actually had a uh, appointment booked at the U.S. Embassy um, and got that done. Uh, and so that was the only time where it was a challenge where I needed something. So now I've got another deal. Um, same thing. And I just actually called Tycor today and I said, we're going to have the exact same problem. So I want you guys to tell me exactly. And I like to use the term idiot-proof instructions. Give me idiot-proof instructions as to exactly what the notary needs to do so that we don't go through this whole snafu again. I got something for you. Go ahead. This is, I just found this uh, yesterday, and um, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's laws in the U.S. that if you get a document notarized in one state, it's legal and legitimate in all 50 states, Yeah. right? Well, there's a company called SignNow.com, S-I-G-N-N-O-W.com, SignNow.com. And they've been fighting. I read this guy has a blog who started this company, and he's been fighting for years to try to get one state that will allow online notaries, okay? He, the J- July 1st, just about 13 days ago, Virginia finally passed a law that said you can do online notaries for documents. And what they do is you can connect with a notary online via a webcam. So you can show the notary your driver's license. You can sign the document electronically right there in front of the notary, and the notary then will get it and stamp it. And then the notary will actually stamp it on in Virginia, yep. and then they will send you a PDF of the notary, yep. and then you can send, then send it anywhere um, in the country from there. And the website, if you're interested, is notary.signnow.com. I'm just, just a Hold on. Well, week ago. When you they, said sign now, that's S I G N N O W.com? Yes. So two N's? Not, yeah, you're not going to, but this is a separate website. You're not going to see anything on signnow.com. Okay, so where about do I go? Notary service. Notary, N O T A R Y. Yeah. Dot sign now.com and somewhere on there he has a he explains the whole process you can it's 100% satisfaction guarantee it's legal because now there's one state that allows it video and they use video evidence and digital logs to ensure its validity it's secure and uh, it works 
And somewhere, if you go to the very bottom, there's a. Joe, you might have been getting. You might have just scored yourself a nice Christmas present here. This is <laughs> awesome. I'm looking at this right now. Um, there's a. If you go to the very bottom of that page, they put a blog post on July 8th, five days ago, of how this whole story of how he's been fighting for this for th- the last three years, um, and and now it's legal. He was even talking about how the notary community was just completely up in arms and threatening him. And he said he got death threats. He got cease and desist letters. Just nasty, crazy stuff. And he talks about this in his blog. And um, But he got, he got Virginia, I believe it's Virginia, to approve this. And uh, now you can use a Virginia notary to notarize your documents from uh, anywhere in the world. It's amazing. This is awesome. Well... You just made the Christmas card list, Joe, <laughs> or Christmas present list. Well, this is cool for anybody who, you know, if you believe you can really flip a property from anywhere in the world with only a laptop, I mean, this even goes further on how it can be done. Now, I've not used this yet, but um, this uh, it's pretty exciting, and um, this kind of, I don't know what else you can, what else you need to do now, I mean, because you can call people from anywhere in the world you can sign documents from anywhere in the world now there's always been digital signatures that you can sign contracts electronically i mean not always but that's been around for a long time but now you can actually get these things notarized um well this is really interesting because one of my private lenders is in canada another one of them is in the uk now the guy in canada it's not a big deal he has to drive 30 minutes across the border but it's still a pain in the butt he's got to drive to you know go across the border and go into a little mailbox etc yeah. get it notarized and for the private lender who's in the uk it's book uh so they have to sign the uh substantive reconveyance on these deals and um she just told me that the us embassy in the uk the next available appointment is august 22nd holy cow yeah. So yeah, this is a perfect solution. Now I don't know if there's if the rules are you have to be in the US when you do this. Um I've not gotten to that kind of depth looking into it yet, but it doesn't from what this guy is saying, um it really, really works. There were you just have to read the blog post. It's fascinating. Yeah. But it's it's now legal and uh the um very cool. So all right, you're 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 Doing business in Panama, you got a nice little place there. I've seen pictures of it; it's great. Um, in fact, if you if you're if you'd be interested, and people are interested in renting your place, we feel free to give your website or yeah, it's buy bad idea. It's buy like b u y buy my red frog beach villa dot com. <laughs> buy b u y my red frog beach villa dot com. Yeah, how much do and villas can- cost? Um, you know, now if you want to buy a brand new one, you're going to be north of $500,000, but I can oh, sell Oh, my pers- word. But, but today only. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can actually buy a fractional ownership of the one that I own, and uh, it's, uh, it's awesome, man. It's a, uh, it's a really great place. Panama, actually, it's, uh, Panama has been... Uh, New York Times rated as the number one destination from the travel section last year. Number one place in the world to go was Panama. And Panama, check this out, guys. If you are a uh, – and then I'll stop plugging Panama. If you can yeah. prove that you have a pension from 
any kind of pension. So whether it's, you know, you're on, uh, it's a company pension, whether it's a government pension, doesn't matter if it's from the United States, Europe, Australia, doesn't matter where in the world. If you can prove that you have a pension, you can get an instant visa into Panama. You get medical care. You get like 30% off of every single hotel room, 30% off all flights, all your travel, like all these benefits because they're trying to get as much uh, – uh, many uh, retirement and bring money into it. They're calling Panama City now the Dubai of Central America, with all the building that's going on there. Really? Yeah, it's just uh, it's crazy. So it's uh, it's very interesting. It's a very interesting place to be right now. Well, I we've been talking about this for a few weeks now, and um, I my my wife and I are looking forward to going to Panama someday soon. We were hoping it would be sooner than later, but. Um, it just from the pictures and the website, it looks like a beautiful place. Yeah, it's great. Live in, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, we live in the jungle, but the fact that we've got this, you know, uh, three bedroom, two bath villa with a private pool here, it's absolutely, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, what and you have a high speed internet. I mean, this call's been pretty good so far. I do have high speed and, internet. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's actually, I'll tell you, actually, going back to the whole uh, working internationally, and, and when we talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago, Joe. The biggest saver for me, and if you're going to do any international travels, you have to convert your home phone service to Vonage. Yeah, um, that's right. It's been, I brought my little Vonage box, and uh, I plug it in, and I have my local San Diego number here, and I can call people anywhere in the U.S., uh, and when people call me, it's like them calling a local U.S. number. I did not do that in Prague, and um, you know, I, I did have our phone, phones forwarded to our Google Voice number. But then I would get a text message that somebody left a message on my phone as long as it was connected to Wi-Fi. But, um, yeah, there, there are – if I were to do it again, going back overseas, I would have spent more time um, uh, getting something like Vonage, getting my own private internet service. I don't care if I, how much I would have had to pay for it. I would have gotten it because – would have saved me tons of headache and hassles because I think what you'll find in a lot of places all over the world is when you go to cafes or, or coffee shops or internet libraries or whatever, they throttle the internet way more than they do here oh, in the big U.S. Time. Have you found that to be true? Yeah. So they, they may have the bandwidth there at that coffee shop that you're going to, but they will throttle it because um, pirating is a big problem in, in other countries way bigger than it is here. And people will go to these coffee shops to get free internet so they can download a bunch of movies and music and it's become a real problem. Yeah. yeah. But, well, the, uh, the biggest thing for us, going to Colombia for two weeks, we're going to be in three cities. We're going to be in Cartagena, Bogota, and, um, and Medellin. And um, well, we based our uh, hotel selection based off of who has free internet and who has free breakfast. And uh, we managed to get all three uh, in all the yes. cities that we're at. So, yeah, we take our Vonage box. We plug it in. It's completely seamless to anybody who's calling me. They don't know. They th- they, for all they know, I'm in San Diego. I actually, funny story. I got into an argument with a telemarketer who called me yesterday and said, would you like to sign up for AT&T Universe? I said, I don't live in the U.S. anymore. He goes, this is 858 to San Diego. And I go, yeah, I know, but I don't live in the U.S. anymore. He said, what do you mean? How does that work? I go, listen, I don't have time to explain this to you. Trust me. I live wow. in Panama right now. But uh, yeah, So you, it used to be we, we would look for hotels best on whether they had cable TV. And then before that, it was color TV. Now it's, you know, do they have free internet? Um, 
So when you're you're traveling around Colombia, are you staying in nicer hotels? Or are you kind of getting closer to the locals? What what's what are you doing there? We are staying in uh, nicer hotels because I know that some people. And I, I'm completely ignorant of Colombia. I've never been there. But you know, a lot of people obviously still associated with like Pablo Escobar and wild drugs and all this type of stuff. But um, yeah. apparently, they've really cleaned up their act. I have a good friend of mine who actually runs uh, the the biggest RIA in Washington D.C. And his wife is Colombian, and so she gave us a ton of great information. Um, now, granted, when they go back there, they're with her or her family, so I take that with a grain of salt. But as long as you, yeah. yeah, sticking to the main tourist areas, and uh, I don't think it's a, uh, it's it's going to be a uh, a big problem at all. So no, I'm not doing the whole cutting edge like going out into the, you know, doing that. We're doing that here in Panama. We're getting close enough to the locals. Are you are you are you turning into a Colin Andrews? I'm not turning into Colin Andrews, but apparently I will. Uh, I, I will see him while I'm there. Soon you will be fun. ripped beyond belief and have a shaved head with blonde streaks coming out of the top of it, and running around town naked <laughs> with a mohawk, <laughs> with a mohawk throwing yeah. money at people and yes. standing. <laughs> I've seen the video. Kind of an inside, kind of an inside uh, inside joke, but Colin's a good guy. He's just a little eccentric. Yeah. You got a whole bunch of Google searches. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I yeah. have one more question because well, I have a lot I've of kids. I've known him for about five years. Go ahead. You've known him for about five years? Yeah. So I know him quite well. Okay. <laughs> um, I, was, I, I have four kids. And uh, talk just real quickly and then we're, we'll be done here. Some of the challenges you have with young kids going through going to South America, what's it like? You know what the you know what the biggest challenge is is my kids are three and my daughter's actually having her uh, fifth birthday uh, in a couple days in Colombia, and uh, the biggest challenge um, is explaining to them like right now uh, for them to keep quiet uh, in the other room. Um, is just like, hey, daddy's got to work because I don't have an office here that I can go to, mm. and especially yeah. when I'm recording a webinar or something like that. So usually it's just a movie, but there hasn't really been many challenges with our kids. I mean, we've taken our kids traveling a lot. Actually, my wife had a, before the second came along. My wife had a blog that she used to blog to you fairly regularly called SimpleBabyTravel.com, and we found it to be a uh, we found it to be a non-issue. We've nice. we've brought fewer things um but i think it's taught our kids to appreciate stuff a lot more we've never really you know had like a ton of toys or all this type of stuff for them so i mean uh i uh i've got uh i brought with me probably like i don't know <laughs> put it this way when i went to jamaica for a week last week all the clothes that i brought with me for for four months i took 90 percent of them in a carry-on <laughs> so we travel extremely light. It's pretty basic, uh, you know. It's bathing suits, t-shirts most of the time. There's, you know, so it's uh, we live a we live a, 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 a it, in some ways we live a lifestyle that's very different from a lot of people. But in some ways, it's very simple and very basic. And uh, we've just learned to, you know, obviously every family is different, but we've just learned to, you know, enjoy life for the experiences and not for, you know having a whole bunch of stuff that's funny <laughs> we brought too much stuff with us to prague 
but um, we we did survive, and I think we learned from that experience not to bring so much next time. Yes, but uh, bring the basics have- because you can always buy it there. Yeah, yeah. There's a hand well, handful of stuff that you got to take, and the rest, yeah, you can get it mm-hmm. wherever. Yeah. Uh, Justin Lee, thank you so much for your time. We didn't even talk about interns. Um, you you came out with uh, you've come out with a couple really really cool products. Uh, but what uh, what are we, what are you doing on the information side of things? Do you have any uh, websites that you want to send people to, or um, where yeah, do people, people get more information about? If you? people just want to keep up with my real estate investing and stuff, I've got a blog. It's called reimarketingtips.com. dot com, and um, it's a blog. They can join my uh, newsletter there, um, and uh, you know I'll you know you can hear all about my adventures here in Panama and living abroad and I mean I'm now when I move back I'm moving back to Canada so I still won't be uh, living in the United States yet that's where I do all of my real estate investing and uh, if people want to learn about how I'm using interns in my business they can do that by simply um, going to internprofits.com and we show business owners how to find hire and manage interns and that works for any kind of business whether you're a real estate investor or you know, a consultant, an attorney, whatever it is, and we show people how to uh, get interns to come and help them and work on their business. And we've uh, had a lot what of success. Was the f- with that. What was the first website, Justin? REI, so like REI, like real estate investor, REI Marketing Tips, T I P S dot com. So REI Marketing Tips dot com. Um, and uh, the other one is InternProfits.com. And by the way, I've I've been through that intern profits course, and it's fantastic. It's really really good. I've not had a time the time to implement any of it yet, but um, you no one can accuse you for uh, under delivering in content. I mean, it's just packed with great stuff. You, you know why that I mean, you, is? You, why? Is my wife with the course? <laughs> oh, <laughs> so all the kudos go to her. I don't get any of them. She wrote the course. You you even have videos. That uh, you can train your interns with, don't you? We do have intern training videos, so you can literally just hand the videos to your intern and say, "Go do this." Yeah, well, it's it's fantastic. I'm looking forward to getting into it more. Um, well, thank you, Justin. Thank you, Alex. I, oh, I hope had, you're still there, Alex. I'm here. We've had some bad connections on this call, but it's been a great call. <laughs> it has been, and Justin, we sure appreciate it. Um, everybody go to real it estate investing mastery. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> go to real estate investing mastery.com, um, and, uh, leave some comments down below. We'll have, uh, we've talked about several different websites and I'll have the links to those websites in the show notes. In fact, let me remember, remind myself here to write down the notary website. Um, hopefully it works. Justin, uh, I appreciate you letting me know if you well, if you try it. Yeah, this deal is scheduled to close escrow in three weeks. So I will I'm definitively gonna use this and I will definitively report back to you guys and let you know uh how it how it turned out. Good, thank you. Maybe I'll even uh, Camtasia myself of a video doing it and, and let you guys know. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And I'm looking forward to the Christmas card. <laughs> excellent excellent <laughs> okay see you guys thank you alex see you justin thanks bye <laughs>